Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to the Block by Design Podcast, where we explore the power and process behind Design for Web3. We'll guide you through the immense challenges faced in Web3 and how embracing the right design methodologies helped overcome these blockers. I'm Reem. And I'm Akil, and we are your co-hosts. Hey everyone, here at Block by Design, Akil and I are kicking off an exciting four-part series on the field of user research for a blockchain and a Web3. This discipline happens to cross several domains that are so far removed from design and technology, and I'm really excited to see where this goes. The idea actually started out as wanting to do a panel for all the user research speakers from DevCon to both amplify and advocate for the design work being done in the ecosystem and really highlight the value add that user research has. But as you know, the space is very remote and it was hard to get everyone scheduled into one call. So we decided to do this four-part series, which I found incredibly insightful and educational for myself. I'll let Reem introduce the guests that we'll be having over the next four episodes. I'm really glad we got the opportunity to interview Shuan, who is going to talk about her introduction into the Web3 space by interacting with the community. And then next, we have Amna, who's going to walk us through her qualitative and quantitative research methodologies as a user researcher who's working full-time in the Web3 and blockchain space. Then we have Georgia from Consensus, who's going to talk to us about the different cognitive biases that we could be subjected to, regardless of what technology we're working with. And lastly, we have Hester, who's done incredible field research in four out of seven continents and brought back such amazing information about how people use crypto, blockchain, and Web3 in different contexts. The next four episodes are going to be packed with amazing information with field work, user research, and context that you will never find in a single podcast elsewhere. So without further ado... Hi, everyone. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of kicking off the series with Shuan Yu, a San Francisco-based product designer with a deep passion in user research and extensive experience as a design consultant for startups in the film industry, cybersecurity, and as many of you know, LivePeer. Before we dive into user research, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I started off my career as a, as a chemist, so nothing to do with user research or blockchain, but somehow found myself in the company of uh, Ethereum enthusiasts. And so I fell into it all. I've been doing product design for about four to five years, and uh, it's been a really long journey working with very small startups to uh, small, medium-sized enterprises, and now a very large enterprise. So I kind of run the whole gamut when it comes to experience. Yeah, what else do you want to know? You mentioned a little bit of getting in this rabbit hole with Ethereum enthusiasts. The first time we got introduced was through Robbie Bent. So do you want to touch us upon how you fell down this rabbit hole and got involved with Web3 in the first place? Yeah, that was quite a story, actually. So it started off really with me meeting someone from Polychain through a white elephant Christmas exchange. And so it's a very, very random chance. And apparently Robbie Bent and Sina Habibian, who many of you might know, has these like amazing kind of forces of community and also just uh, 
great engineer and great community member. When I first interviewed with them for the position of helping them with their brand new project, ETH Messenger, they actually didn't engage me immediately because they were looking for maybe someone with more visual lens or maybe someone with a different kind of product experience. But I did ask questions to them that left them kind of with an impression that I was going to be a good user researcher. So they engaged me in February of this year. And we went to East Denver and conducted a whole series of contextual inquiries and uh, just like interviews. It was just this incredible experience where I actively got to help them shape the idea from the ground zero. And that's how I fell into it. I just kind of fell in love with the community ever since then. Amazing. So I know personally having worked with those guys, they're very community oriented and it seems like that seemed to have rubbed off on you as well as you progressed to LifePeer. Could you talk about how you got involved with LifePeer from the community side of things and what that engagement looked like? Yes. So with ETH Messenger, it was a project that was kind of still really young and um, not really ready for a full design resource. So during that time, uh, Robbie and Zeno were really kind to introduce me to many of the other projects in the space. And LivePeer was definitely one of them. I met the co-founder, Eric Tang, and he introduced me to their community lead. And we just kind of hit it off right there. I thought the founders were really wonderful and the project was so interesting. It was leveraging one of the more interesting, hot and new kind of design patterns that were emerging only within Web3. And that was delegated proof of staking. Uh, I got so excited about this and they said they were ready to just involve me from the get-go through the community because they had a grant system to get product work done. And yeah, I never looked back after that time. Could you talk through the process of you getting engaged into this highly technical ecosystem coming from a design background, not really knowing too much about what delegated proof of staking <laughs> is or all these other nuances. So you're diving into so many new concepts. How do you engage as a designer into this new community and ecosystem? Yeah, um, I think the technical side is personally very interesting to me. So I started off my design career kind of dabbling in a little bit of front-end development and just um, I'm always very curious about what engineers are doing. And I think that's maybe why I am so in love with product design. Delegated proof of staking interests me a lot because it was something that was kind of buzzing around the community and has this like great kind of frizzing and excitement around it. I didn't know very much about it. My curiosity definitely got the better of me. And what's even better is that it promises this more democratic way of delivering technology and increasing access for public you know, networks and allowing just, you know, anyone to own a piece of it. So that to me was already really exciting. The technical side is incredibly complex, but also at the same time, quite simple, fundamentally. So it's just a really cool thing to constantly learn about and learning something new every day about it. So when it comes to a highly technical capability, how do you incorporate user research, which is centered on the human elements of interaction? Yeah, that's a really good question. And maybe the crux of the problem in Web3 is that it is so highly technical in general. And it's hard to remember to focus on the user, but customer-centric and user-centric design is what product design is all about. And uh, I think it's actually not so complex to come back to the person and the problem. Because ultimately, however complex the technology 
the user and the problems that they have that we have to address and solve will always be the center of user research and of design. Um, so it's really not different from my experience from any Web2 project. Uh, you merely articulate with a team what exactly is the problem that we're solving and for whom. This problem statement is so core and so important. And uh, without it, you really don't have anything to base your research on and anything to base your product on. So I hope that's kind of the thing that we as a whole community come back to is understanding from the voice of the customer, what is that problem that we're solving for them. So I'm kind of interested in the whole open source and community engagement side of things. What kind of roadblocks did you find interfacing with the live peer team, considering that you're not a full-time employee? They obviously have resources dedicated to design and key stakeholders that you need to kind of influence and provide context to. So were there any blockers or any things that you think could have been improved within that process? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this question. So first of all, let me preface this all with how great of a time I had as a community member. I think it was definitely one of the best community involvement experiences I have experienced as a designer. But that being said, there were definitely roadblocks too, because even though there was very low power distance between me and the team, despite the fact that I'm not really on the team, I'm not on the payroll, I came in through kind of the community, which means that I, I don't really have like a stake in the company so much as an employee, but I feel like I would be a little bit self-limiting or uh, just having the expectation that whatever attitudes or opinions I might have towards a product is going to be superseded by someone who's actually on the team um, because they're more invested and they are actually you know being paid to deliver the experience. So I think that was the major challenge is in understanding what exactly is the level of pushback I can give or what is the level of involvement. And um, they didn't put any artificial ceilings on that, but there are real limitations when you are a community member that are just logistical. So considering that you are coming from the Web 2 and then you made the transition to Web 3, what were some of the differences that you saw when it came to applying your user research methodologies or even product design practice in general? Yes, I think maybe the the difference is not exactly in the Web 3, Web 2 distinction, but rather just in the level of maturity of the projects in the Web 3 space. Uh, in Web 2, there are a lot more projects that have attained a level of maturity or kind of an organization structure that supports a set of design activities that I think Web 3 projects are not ready for. So what I mean by that is, for instance, if you have an experienced product manager in Web 2, then the scope of what you have to work on as a designer is more focused and you can do a lot more research, a lot more user testing, and maybe working on the flows and working on the details of how to implement a certain set of requirements. Now, I think in Web3, what I've experienced a lot more of is uh, what I've also experienced with early stage Web2 projects. And that is, you have to take on uh, some of the product management capabilities and going to clarify requirements going to do the actual customer discovery. And um, that's also like maybe a portion of user research, but it's just, you have to do a lot more end-to-end, -end, meaning you have less time for certain kinds of research and having to be like the least perfectionist version of yourself. Uh, so that's the major difference that I see. Having worked with large organizations in the user research, how do you think processes map into the Web3 ecosystem since you did touch on the life cycle of the organizations is very early right now. 
So how do you think the processes that are in place for extensive user research actually maps onto Web3 and are all the processes actually practical or not? Yeah, that's a really, really good one. Uh, I think I think what needs to maybe shift into alignment for Web3 orgs is kind of this, maybe this general conversation that can happen across different organizations that are actually interested in having a great product. Because what I see as lacking in the space is not only good product design, but really what precedes design is good product management. And that does come hand in hand with doing those initial user research type customer discovery conversations and customer development conversations, which I I personally observed founders doing in a very particular way. You know, you have to be a trained user researcher in order to remove your bias from those early product conversations, or else you're doing a mixture of selling and discovery rather than just discovery. So I think the the process that I think most needs to be borrowed from Web2 is having the affordance of a period of time where you're not selling at all, but rather just sitting back and listening to the voice of the customer. And then really having a down-to-earth evaluation of, does this product need to exist? Because so yeah. often we have this kind of odd you know, space where you have a technology and potentially even investors that you sold on an idea, and then you're trying to realize the other end of it uh, after the fact. Whereas ideally from the research perspective, you are discovering a need that needs to be solved with maybe like a wide portfolio of technologies and not locking down that other end first, and then putting a pin on the customer problem and figuring out the right technologies to service that need. So it's always this kind of dichotomy and it happens whether it's Web 2 or Web 3, it happens all the time with early stage startups. Yeah, so the process I recommend for kind of resolving this uh, Schrodinger's cat situation where it's uh, kind of you you have both ends not meeting in the middle, two different realities kind of happening at the same time, that is yep. uh, actually giving yourself the time to do thorough user research to find the right product market fit prior to execution. So interesting thing that you know, we keep circling back to when it comes to user research, it's all about the users. And with Web2 startups and companies, they usually have a sign-up page and ask you to provide their information. But with Web3, anonymity or pseudo-anonymity is kind of critical or is essentially the crux of why Web3 became such a success or well, getting there, actually. But in terms of getting users and interviewing them and understanding what kind of behaviors they exhibit, how do you get access to users? How do you find them? I think for LifePeer, um, I have to caveat that the users that we were targeting were more or less people who are already using LivePeer and also an adjacent market, like close to them. So LivePeer's approach is, I think, pretty typical for the space. That is, let's at least focus on users who are already exposed to Web3 and have an understanding of what staking even is. It's a very small segment. The long-term goal was to discover who could be the next you know, big pocket of users? What's the next market segment that can adopt uh, staking? But that is kind of a really huge problem for the whole entire space. And it was not something that we can resolve within a short period of time. So where to find users, I think is like a really cool question. They're everywhere. They're you and I. But I think it's just such a philosophical question for the company if the founders want to have that kind of market-oriented approach. And oftentimes I, I see that's like a, no, they're not as market-oriented. They're more oriented towards the sales side. So I think users are in existing networks, 
I highly recommend maybe founders thinking about what are current problems being kind of like solved for by Web2 that can be solved in a Web3 way, which is 10 times more efficient. And I think LivePeer did a really great job with that, like at least on the level of finding a service that can be done better. But they have a multi-sided market, meaning that the technology that's delivering this value also has a different market that needs to be served. And that market is unresolved as to like who the stakers might be. It's a very complex problem where the users are. I, I think the tool or the lens that can be used is doing early adopter studies and trying to figure out who the early adopter segments are. And this is a very slow and painful process sometimes. Maybe as a company, you have to be prepared to dedicate a lot of design research processes and resources to getting this done. But it's incredibly important to having the right strategic lens for, for the product. Could you touch a little bit on what type of processes you guys use to conduct the user research? Yeah, absolutely. So we started off, uh, so I first had to caveat that I was not the only user researcher. There was actually a, a PM slash user researcher on staff who was doing incredible work for not only LifePeer, but Pesa and various other, other projects. And her name is Mincy. So she and I collaborated and she actually started off by building a journey map for the user. So that was the first step was to discover the existing experience for users that were on the platform. So we conducted about 15 different interviews with users that are currently on LivePeer staking. And we discovered that they were kind of from all over the world and sort of all over the map when it comes to uh, why they were staking or why they found LivePeer to be an interesting token. And most of it was kind of from an investment perspective. Uh, so that was very cool to discover. And uh, my contribution to this study was kind of a, how do we go and discover new users that would be the right target audience for the platform? And why do we want to maybe attract that particular audience? Are they a sustainable growth marketing segment? So this is where it's kind of almost reaching into the marketing section. So I think it's, it's a early stage problem where the user researcher is trying to figure out the PM's work. But yeah. So those are some of the processes. So you bring in one important point about you crossing into like the marketing realm, but why was that even necessary for you to for you guys to get to that space? I think the necessity of it is it's a prerequisite to being able to do the right user research work in the first place. I have done some of my own entrepreneurial projects from end to end, and one of the first things I learned about the space was the number one thing to pin down before anything else can be worked on properly. The foundational piece is uh, who is the customer and what is the problem that you need to address for them. But the who is the customer part is probably, you know, even more fundamental. So that was a question that we were asking and I was asking the live peer team. Uh, they knew who their customer was from the video transcoding side. That was really clear. But from the staking side, it was kind of this existential question. Without that knowledge, we really can't form any other good questions to even research around or like, who are you even researching? And you get this kind of mixed bag of many different kinds of individuals and it just kind of destroys the focus of the design exercise. So staking is a very nascent technology and ecosystem that's developing for Web3. And as the years progress, it's going to play a larger and larger role. And it seems like you were at the forefront of the research being done in that space. So are there key learnings that you guys highlighted that could be shared with the community? Yeah, absolutely. So I think 
the top thing that I learned was you, you still have this kind of very mixed audience who are interested in staking, and there's no one clear winner as for who might be the most important audience to target when it comes to channels. But I think what was interesting was the mindset. So we we discovered some of the psychographics of the investors or the stakers, rather, like who are coming to the platform. In fact, we can't call them investors, I think, because that kind of crosses over some kind of SEC rules. But they had an investor mentality. Uh, what doesn't cross the SEC rules that we were kind of doing in this space? <laughs> right. So everything's a little bit gray. But as a community, we called them investment-minded individuals rather than investors. And they believed in this decentralized world, and they're very altruistic in a in a way, but also games oriented. Um, some of them were developers, other ones were just merely crypto enthusiasts. But everyone had a certain level of literacy for the Web three ecosystem, and they're mostly here to be in early and maybe contribute to a world that is better, you know, and more equitable. Than today, we had someone from Argentina, and I think they're going through kind of a economic collapse almost within their own government. So they see crypto as kind of like a savior of their economic system potentially, or an alternative. Yeah. Um, we have people from Europe who were developers and just kind of like really interested in figuring out different ways to maximize their gains and their money and play with uh, cryptocurrency. So my top learning was that people had different reasons for being here, and they were all really excited about the vision of what could be. But it's still very early, and nobody had a bleeding neck wound of a problem that needed to be solved via staking. Um, it's very experimental. Now that being said, I have some personal intuitions for what markets could be really interesting to tackle as maybe the next generation of stakers. I feel like maybe in gaming that could be a really interesting place to research. We put that on the map, but didn't ever get there because it was going to be a very large research project that took a long time, and for sure,、uh, it was not in scope. But、uh, for instance, the next generation who are already really comfortable with digital currencies and this idea of growing their currencies and the fact they're very effective at generating more economic value from digital currencies is kind of these Gen Z. Sort of gaming communities, right? So that would be a really cool community to explore, but we haven't done any serious research in that realm.、Uh, so those are kind of some of my learnings. So one of the key reasons we're doing this episode is to educate and validate the idea of user research and the impact that it has on products, not only in this space but within product design. Could you talk about how the user research and the key insights that you just highlighted? Actually, factored into the end product with the staking interface. Yeah, absolutely. So, I think the top thing that we learned from all this research is that we really have to be designing for multiple audiences, and the way that we kind of segment the audiences was really important. We knew that we couldn't segment the audiences maybe just willy nilly. The only thing that we could effectively do is to figure out what level of experience they had with cryptocurrency. They were coming here for so many different reasons that we couldn't service all of those reasons, but we could service their level of comfort with crypto,、uh, crypto technology and their understanding of the interface. So I'll, I'll highlight one of the pain points that we were trying to solve from the platform or the LivePeer company perspective, and that is people were coming to LivePeer and not understanding how to stake supported by the interface. So what they do instead is、uh, they would route themselves to either the community, they would drop off. 
And the community was being kind of used as a way to ease the pain of the interface not supporting them being able to complete their staking. So even when a person knows that they want to stake live peer, it was a struggle. And for me personally, because of my lack of knowledge of staking space or like having not really played with tokens that much, it took me three days. <laughs> and that was uh, pretty painful. And so that's not everyone's experience. Some people would, you know, take 30 minutes, you know, they would go radar relay or a different DEX and for me, I, I barely had an Ethereum. I've never traded on DEX. So that was kind of the caveat. But what we can do from the user research perspective is uh, maybe not help with the trading of tokens, but past that point, uh, if you have LivePure token, how can the staking interface be improved where it just supports your understanding and you get this intuitive understanding of how to stake? And it shouldn't be that hard. What we discovered from the user research was that you have audiences who are a lot more comfortable and they figure out the staking within 10 to 30 minutes, or uh, you have an audience like me, the vast majority of people who don't have any intuitive understanding of this design pattern because delegated proof of staking never existed before. They had to be educated. And Mincy and I both worked on different sides of this problem. And hers was in creating the landing page and helping people understand what delegated proof of stake is and what are the benefits of staking life for token? What are all the different ways to get involved in the community? And then passing that on to me where I'm working on the actual interface of the staking so that I'm taking people from that pipeline and then helping support both the expert user and the user with very low understanding of technology. As a designer entering the Web3 and blockchain space, I was kind of overwhelmed with all the information that I needed to know and learn about the technical elements of blockchain. As a designer that's newly entering the space that is still trying to navigate blockchain versus Bitcoin versus Ethereum versus, you know, all these different types of all these different buzzwords that you hear every single day. What did you have to do as a designer for you to learn and adopt and just move forward and have a momentum to design for such an incredible technology? I personally feel like I was attracted by the technology just because it was so fascinating to begin with. But what really kept me in the ecosystem were the people that I met. And I think that was something that we both affirmed with our research and also just with my personal experience. People are incredibly helpful in the space. What got me moving was literally having no fear that someone in this ecosystem is always there to help me answer my questions. Um, there's so much that I don't know, but there are also an equal number of passionate and kind individuals that would always answer my questions. So LivePeer, for instance, whenever I got stuck, I knew that there were at least five or even 10 different individuals on the team that I could reach out to who would not mind walking me through, or even on the community side, people who are not involved in the company. Um, there's this kind of level of comfort of sharing and teaching culture that is truly unparalleled. So how that translates a product in the future is a huge question. And that was one of the things that we were working on is how do we kind of like make it more scalable? I, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, similar to what you've done, I essentially just kind of dove in head first and tried to reach out to people, hope, hoping that they would be amiable enough to give me the answers that I'm looking for. For the people listening, can you tell us really quickly what journey mapping is? 
Yes, absolutely. Journey mapping is taking a user's journey and laying it out visually um, and figuring out exactly what the user is experiencing when they're kind of approaching your product and experiencing your product. And this might even extend before they even engage with your product and also to what they're experiencing afterwards. Uh, so for instance, if we're just going to take a quick example, you go on to, I don't know, Facebook or uh, in the Web3 world, maybe the Live Peer website. What were you doing before, you know, as a user? How did you get there? When you do land on the webpage, what are the questions that are running through your mind? And what do you actually experience? What do you click on? What questions are being answered, you know, by the interface? So all of those things are elements of a user journey map, and you kind of figure out what the user ex is experiencing in terms of positivity and negativity of emotion, where the confusion points are, and also what the product is intending to uh, like present to the user. So journey mapping, what you guys have done in Live Peer sounds very similar to what we typically do in Web2. But if you were to pull out a design principle or design method that is done in Web2 that cannot be applied in Web3, what would that be? Oh, hmm, that's a... That's a really interesting one. I haven't really thought about that very much, but um, if I were to just kind of shoot from the hip, I think the part from Web 2 that can't be applied to Web 3 is that you don't have as many users to work with. You can't find as many of the same kind of users. In Web 2, we have the affordance to select for users that are very specific. Maybe let's just say a very specific kind of account manager who uses this enterprise software and you kind of test with that group. But with Web3, you're kind of almost journey mapping for a more basic experience. Um, and, and it makes sense because the technology is already enough of a barrier that almost anyone's experience of the website is valuable or anyone's experience of the product is valuable because the, the general audience isn't so targeted. I feel like there's really no precedence as far as the best methodologies to use. So it's quite a bit of experimentation that needs to be done with a lot of different projects. And that information actually needs to be shared within the ecosystem. In addition, I feel like metrics and analytics are really missing in Absolutely. the ecosystem as well. <laughs> so we're, we're going to be talking about analytics and metrics a lot in the context of the rest of the episode with uh, MetaMask and a few other projects. It's interesting that other projects are taking that approach to it. And hopefully we'll get into a direction and a groove where we have some sort of context coming in. But I, I feel like Creating user journeys and not having too much of a precedence is probably somewhat of a challenge as well. Yeah, absolutely. We internally for LivePeer had not really implemented a ton of analytics yet, but with Mincy's push, a lot of the analytics have been instrumented, at least kind of the basic level Google analytics for a website, for instance. The in-product analytics are a little bit harder to get at, but um, that's where we kind of supplemented it with just very quick guerrilla-style user usability testing, right? We go and test, kind of A-B test the previous experience compared with the current experience, and at least you can get some very rough qualitative and also some quantitative data to say, hey, people used to take 30 minutes or even three days to stick, and now with very minimal support from the community or maybe only using the interface, they can stick in under five minutes or for experienced users under one minute. Uh, so those are kind of things that we did at LivePeer to support 
like, hey, we actually created an interface that achieved an effect of some kind. But yeah, I, I think that there is a lot to do in the space when it comes to quantifying the results and the business kind of interests of uh, applying better design. So touching on the things that we can do better in this space, are there any other key areas that you think we really need to improve upon? Yeah, I, I would like to kind of share my thoughts on what both like kind of the business side and the founder side could do better and also how to maybe work with these kind of teams when you are a designer in Web3 versus Web2. From the founder side, I think we kind of all agree on the pain points of, hey, early stage startup, not as much maybe awareness of what design research and also design thinking can do for the team. It's mostly sales focused. But at the same time, from the design side, we have to support that because sometimes a company's survival depends on you know certain funding cycles or things that must be delivered within a certain amount of time. So um, for founders, I think maybe the advice I would give is hire the right designer, maybe someone who has that product thinking and research lens and allow them to do their work and maybe even follow along in all of the customer interviews. This is exact, exactly what I experienced with Robbie and Sina. They were incredibly awesome to include me in on all of their customer development calls. And that gave me enough data to work with. And something else that the designers can really be aware of is you have to almost design for sales at the same time as designing for kind of the long-term vision of the product. It's never ideal, but it's almost a requirement to be able to design for short-term and long-term at the same time in parallel. So those are kind of some key learnings I had working in this very fast-paced, high-technology environment in Web3. And then lastly, maybe just being able to push back with this developer-driven environment and not being afraid to ask questions as a way to guide the conversation. I think those are really good points you highlighted. I feel the amount of interactions and collaboration that needs to happen in a space with all the different stakeholders working on the project is quite paramount and people haven't really adopted that process as it should be within context of their projects or their companies, especially having the context of what the technology is limited to from a design perspective when you are actually doing the product designing what impacts it has on the business model, if a business model even exists in the first place. We're working on a lot of different systems designs issues. And if you don't have context to the business side of things, or if you're segregated or siloed in just your job description, it becomes quite impossible to do anything impactful for the business. So making sure that if you are running a project or if you are a designer, advocate for more in-person or collaborative working opportunities where the passing of information is facilitated in some manner. That's one key thing that we really need to advocate for moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. In-person collaboration is amazing. And I would say, so I worked with LivePeer remotely for about six months before we all gathered together and met um, at DevCon Osaka this year, where we presented the work on our delegated proof of staking reskin and redesign. We had such a great time collaborating as a team in person. I felt like it just removed a lot of barriers before when we had kind of a, just like use Zoom calls or different technologies to have conference calls. There's always that slight lag in the technology where people would speak at the same time and all that. Um, it was infinitely more productive to get together in a house and be able to do kind of these lightning rounds of user research together. It just moved things forward uh, much more quickly and gave us the 
ability to reach consensus faster. One of the things that we did really well uh, as a community member involving into the company's product design process was just uh, being able to have these pair design sessions with each person. Nice. Yeah, because everyone is a designer really at the end. Our role as the actual designers on the team, I think, is to ask the right questions and kind of drag out all the great ideas and uh, unique perspectives and knowledge that are locked away inside each team member's head. Because for me, uh, there were many things that I had blind spots on, including the technology itself and what are the different possibilities of technologies that we can leverage to create the final product. And I got a huge amount of help from the front-end developer and sort of like formulating design ideas. And in fact, he had uh, improved my designs by quite a lot. And I'm not embarrassed to admit that. It was definitely not an individual effort. Everything that we did was way better having collaborated and really just gotten each person's perspective and having listened and put that into the final product. Yeah, I really love that. People, at least designers, consider themselves to be problem solvers, but I think the role that we need to play is uh, problem creators and actually get to the core of like why we're doing it and make sure that people understand that there needs to be better solutions created for those problems. Yeah, absolutely. Shuan, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. If people want to learn more about how to include designers, especially user research, which is absolutely critical in every organization, how can people get a hold of you? What are your social media handles? Yeah, you can find me on Telegram at Wolfberry with an IE at the end, or uh, also Freshly Minted on Twitter. I'm happy to answer any questions, or if you want to collaborate on any projects, I just love ideation sessions and talking about design and nerding out about blockchain. So please reach out. And that's why we have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Raymond Gill.